Welcome everyone. Thank you very much for joining today. I'm really excited about today's podcast because I'm interviewing an amazing woman, Dr. Uma Nadu, and she's quite unique in, in that she is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, but she's also a professional chef, and she specializes in nutrition. So imagine going to a brain doctor and finding out that she knew all about nutrition and she also loved to cook and she was a great chef. Like what an amazing find. I think everybody would love to find a psychiatrist like that. And she has, I think I got to ask her this, this term nutritional psychiatry sounds like a new term to me. So Dr. Emma, thank you very much for, for joining me and doing this podcast because I, I want to introduce people to your new book. I want them to know about it. It's a great book and wanted to talk to you more about nutritional psychiatry. What does that look like? What does that help us? You know, what, what, what do we learn about ourselves because of this new field of nutritional psychiatry? So welcome. Thank you so much, Donna. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, nutritional psychiatry, the term I, I, is more recent, but many clinicians have been practicing how to counsel their patients about, uh, you know, lifestyle measures and how to live through having side effects when they're using a medication. For myself, what I can speak to is the fact that I just felt a sense of responsibility um, when I was a young resident, sort of learning how to prescribe medications, because I also knew that they came with side effects. And for that reason, I began early on to really explore nutrition and understand what I could be saying to them. Um, there's such, you know, uh, the, uh, people tend to be more aware of how to eat for, uh, to lower their blood pressure or lower their cholesterol, but they tend not to know much about mental health. And, and for me, that was really very important. Great. And the book is called, This is Your Brain on Food, an Indispensable Guide to the Surprising Foods that Fight Depression, ADHD, OCD, Anxiety, which I think people are really experiencing a lot of right now, and, um, and much more than that. So this is a really fun book. Like I, I, you know, kind of credit myself for knowing a lot about food and uh, brain, gut brain stuff and all, but I was thrilled how you always bring in the gut, the gut-brain connection, and just great, really useful information on so many different topics. So great chapters. So let's kind of kind of get into all that. Um, so you've been studying this gut-brain connection for a really long time now. What is the connection, just for those people that are, might be listening, I don't know, they've been in a closet or something, but it seems like everybody should know about the gut and the brain connection. But can you just right. talk about that for a little while for the people who don't? Sure. You know, I think I think that uh, many people have heard about terms like inflammation, leaky gut, um, problems, you know, with an autoimmune disease or other things like that. But many people do not really associate gut, the gut-brain connection with mental health. And, you know, the Certainly from my clinical work and my, my review of the sort of ongoing research, there's this, you know, bio, biochemical, anatomical, physiological connection between the gut and the brain. And anatomically, this starts really from before we are born and how our organs form in our body. And the, there is a nerve that we all have called the vagus nerve that connects the gut to the brain. And I like to tell people that I call this the sort of informational superhighway in the gut-brain connection because it, it's bi-directional and it 
actively communicates um, between what's going on in the gut to the brain and vice versa. Where this becomes important is that managing our gut bacteria in terms of keeping the good balance of gut bacteria in our favor. So feeding the good bugs in our gut the right diet, taking care of them in a certain way by not being stressed, for example, um, not eating you know, foods that are inflammatory. All of those things impact the gut bacteria. And when, when we, we feed them with you know, healthy whole foods, um, fresh um, you know, vegetables, fruit, uh, probiotics, prebiotics, um, and the right things that they need, and we avoid the processed foods, the highly sugared foods, the trans fats and fast foods, those types of things which drive the, the gut bacteria in the wrong direction, um, we can actually change the gut bacteria and start to change things within a day. Um, and the reason I say that is if you're eating the foods that are good for you, you can start to make positive changes in a day, but the opposite is true as well. You can start you know, this, this, this slow and steady inflammation by starting and continuing to eat the wrong foods as well. You know, I think the book is really timely that you're releasing it right now. You probably spent years working on it, right? I, I did spend some time working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, that's life. It's always but, a process. Um, yeah, definitely. And, but, it's, you know, this is being recorded in time, the time of COVID. And we're having a lot of anxiety and depression. People don't know what their future is going to be like, or any of us, like what's going to happen. So, um, you know, the, the, and also I just want to point this out that I get so frustrated with the media because they're always telling us, you know, to like, you know, from, prevent from getting infected, to wash our hands, wear face masks, stay six feet away from the next person. No one ever talks about the immune system, which is really what we need to be doing is building that immune system. Yes, That's what's going to protect us from this virus and every other one that's going to come down the pike for the rest mm -hmm. of our life. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm really glad you've got so much great information. You, you always bring in the gut and the bacteria in the gut which I loved. I was surprised, actually. I thought it was going to be about just food and brain, but I didn't know you were going to do the, uh, bring in the whole gut-brain connection, which is really good, and, um, and how the foods are affecting the different bacteria. So I'd like to kind of get into um, some of that. Um, I know you've been studying the gut-brain connection for a long time, and, and how did you kind of stumble upon or get directed into this connection between mental health and the food? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I feel um, that I was incorporating dietary changes um, to my patients as I was prescribing medications. And even though I still prescribe, I do feel that as I've completed and continued continue to understand mental health and, and the conditions, that um, there are more than one ways that my patients can feel better. And food is something that we all have to do anyway. So why not do it you know, in, in, in an improved way. Um, I think we all make errors. We'll, we don't, may not have a perfect diet on a given day, but we can always try to make these changes. And much of this really came from my reading of the literature, um, noticing clinical symptoms and signs in patients, things that, here's, here's a great example. Someone was referred to me by a gastroenterologist for severe new onset anxiety and panic. 
in a person who was middle-aged and, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect the disorder to just present for the first time at that point in life. Um, as I took a proper history, this was a young uh, executive who um, was recently promoted at work and was doing very well in terms of her career. But when you really trace back the history over about an 18 month to two year period, uh, she had stopped eating meals at home, was traveling three to four days of the week, spending time in airports, eating either fast foods, junk food or food on the go, and almost never having a meal at home, um, sleeping poorly. So her body was in a, although she was, you know, doing well in terms of her career, her body and mind were very stressed. Her diet had changed completely in, in that 18 month period. And she actually ended up having significant inflammation. So inflammation in her gut or inflammation in her gut. Mm-hmm. What then happened is the, the this, this sort of chronic slow burning inf- inflammation brought on by the stress and all of these different mechanisms then presented actually as panic. But when you when you actually sat, sat down and obtained the history from her by making slow and steady, careful changes to how she was eating, she was then able to to really start to slowly see some positive change. And she, she wasn't, she was having a, a few panic attacks, but she was able, she was willing, actually, she was willing and wanted to try a different way to feel better. She wanted to use nutritional strategies and felt that she was willing to tolerate that anxiety she was having to work on this in a different way. And while it took us some time, because it does take some time for the gut to heal, we were able to help her um, feel better over time and you know work on even in a, in a mind body holistic and integrated approach look you know build in ways to help her stress as well as foods that she incorporated uh, to to fend off this anxiety well you said a couple of things i want to just sort of stress a little bit to the listeners is that basically this person was very much affected by the stress in her life and stress does kill the healthy microbes in the gut and allow the other ones to flare up uh, and and damage the gut lining. So I think, uh, again, this is a pretty bad time for stress in people's lives, but, you know, I thought, you know, you said over time she was able to, you know, get better, but uh, it doesn't take very long. Like you mentioned already that to change the gut bacteria uh, it shifts very quickly when you do start eating, right? It does, I think, time to t- make these lifestyle changes. You know, if you're the only food you have available is in an airport, mm-hmm. and you know, your other option is not to eat at all or bring something right. with you. Or bring something you know, with it, you. Yeah. yeah exactly. So these, these, this is to, in some ways the hardest part of of making changes is changes to your lifestyle. You know, figuring out what you can do uh, to balance Absolutely. out being on the go all the time. Absolutely. Or to, or to figure out a way with some of my patients, you know, they're almost everyone now, because as you know, Donna, the, the microbiome is somewhat unique to each person. They might respond differently to different things. And, you know, some of it is really finding out for that person, what are the, what are the steps that they can make and what are the planning steps they can make? You know, for, for, for this individual, it really was planning out meals and snacks that she could carry with her. Um, on the go so that she wouldn't end up eating the candy from the bar fridge 
or eating, you know, just fast foods at, at the airports. So it really involved her um, maybe taking a few extra steps, but, but then starting to change how she was eating. Yeah, so um, all throughout the book, you've got really fun examples. I mean, not that they're fun so much, but I love reading stories about real people. One of them, another example of stress was one of your patients was um, a transgender and he was, she was transitioning, if I understood it right, she was transitioning into a he, but had a, just years of um, trauma, you know, mm-hmm. struggle, emotional struggle around that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell, do you remember, can you tell his story a little bit? Um, sure. I mean, I, I think that's, um, you know, I think what, what, what we basically worked on together was how to help him with not just the psychological aspects of, uh, of the transition, but what, you know, what that, what that was doing was creating a certain level of stress um, in the body and leading to inflammation and discomfort. And so there was almost a way in which we, we processed it as being, you know, the outer, the outer experience, the outer changes that were happening, but also the internal struggles that were going on. Um, and the internal struggles were equally important, but the internal struggles also involved, uh, you know, uh, involved nutritional changes. And, you know, that's how we, we kind of designed, um, designed what I wrote about in, in the book about him. So it's, you know, it, in psychiatry, it's, it's people often say to me, do you ask people to eat certain foods or avoid others? And I have to say to them that when someone comes into my office, despite what I eat or what I feel, I've got to be open to helping them where they're at. Um, you know, so if they come in saying I'm a carnivore or I'm vegan, what, whatever it might be, I've still got to find uh, a way to um, to really make help them make some some healthy changes, and and that sort of tends to be my my approach. You know, this is a chicken and egg question. Do you think that the problems like uh, um, OCD or anxiety or depression, they come first or the diet actually causes them to, like, is this person just kind of born naturally, genetically full of anxiety? Because I know that there's a lot of genes that do put somebody at risk. Um, so do you, and then let's say they go into an, they grow up in an environment where there's a lot of tension and stress and mm-hmm. not a lot of love and everything. And but then, um, you know, would diet have, had they also had a great diet, would that have kept them from becoming depressed or have all this anxiety? I guess, or? I guess I wish we could study something like that to, to truly know um, if from uh, what, what I do know, what I do know is from a young age, if you are careful about what a child eats, their brain development is different. You know, their cognition mm-hmm. could be different. Um, not having the tons of high fructose corn syrup and added sugars and in cereals and candy and that kind of stuff does make a difference not mm-hmm. only to the brain development, but potentially cognitively later on. Um, you know, there's some, some seminal research being done on that, uh, looking at MRI scans and things. So, so I, it's, it's a hard question to know um, the chicken and the egg. Mm-hmm. I do think, because I do think there are environmental epigenetic and other, many other factors, um, psychosocial, um, you know, all of these things that may impact someone's presentation at a given point. 
But it also does beg the question, you know, what if uh, we were not experiencing the sad diet, the standard American diet? What if what if in general people had uh, or were, were for many decades in this country eating, you know, a healthier diet? Where would we be at compared to where we are now? So um, I, I think more research needs to be done for us to figure out those things while understanding that nutritional science and nutrition research is hard to to capture some of this data. That's a good point. Well, would you just talk to or list some of the different conditions that you cover in the book? I've mentioned anxiety and depression, but what else are you are you talking sure. about in each of the chapters? Yeah, so we talk about, you know, we talk about sleep, um, both how to, you know, we in each chapter, what we do is we, we I describe the foods that I want people to embrace that might help a condition and the foods to avoid. Um, and we break it down into chapters on sleep and ins- um, uh, so insomnia and fatigue and brain fog. Then we look at, you know, OCD. Uh, we look at trauma, PTSD. Um, we look at a chapter on major mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So, you know, there are, there are um, 10 chapters looking at the different conditions. And then there's a chapter on uh, recipes at the end to sort of match um, the different conditions um, in, in, that we've covered and to pair it with the food that we've talked about in those chapters. And, and the, these are simple recipes that, you know, because we want to encourage people to try out some healthy options when they can. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much how we divided up the book. And, you know, there are, there are definitely some surprising foods that come out of it. For example, um, people don't realize that processed meats have many things in them that may not be healthy, but they also have things like nitrates, which have been shown to, which are the additives found in things like bacon, salami, and sausages and other cured meats um, that they, you know, not every brand may have them, but most do. And they actually drive depression Um, or that, you know, sweeteners, uh, certain sweeteners have been shown to uh, drive anxiety, as well as foods that have gluten. Um, you know, so, so those are things that you, one may not know if, um, if, 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 if they weren't sort of provided the information or that, you know, MSG, um, other glutamates and, and other uh, 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 products of, of uh, glutamate found in certain foods actually can worsen um, symptoms of PTSD. So I think it's helpful for people to know, number one, how many foods they can eat and embrace to have a better impact on a certain condition, but also the things they should avoid. Well, let's take one one of those conditions. I loved it that you had a chapter on insomnia because Mm -hmm. insomnia and fatigue, actually, because I think people are, so many people are struggling with insomnia, either they can't fall asleep or they get to sleep and then they wake up a couple of times during the night. And you mentioned the term chrononutrition. Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, part of it is really the timing of the food and as well as the types of food. And what we found is that, um, you know, one of the, uh, 
foods that we touch on, on in many, and we describe this when we outline the introduction, that there might be foods that you see more than once and in more than one chapter. And that's because the mechanisms in the brain are not going to be different. And the mechanisms, therefore, to heal and help these conditions may actually be overlapping. But one of the things about um, insomnia and fatigue is that things like omega-3 fatty acids found in um, fatty fish are actually are actually found uh, to help help sleep. Um, melatonin. Um, there are actual foods that you can embrace that uh, will help you sleep. So things like um, you know pomegranates, walnuts, sunflower seeds, flax seeds, eggs. Um, uh, certain types of uh, fish also have melatonin. So I will often say to people, you know, if you're having a struggle sleeping and if you do eat eggs, maybe something like an evening omelet with certain ingredients might might prepare you for sleep better than, than something else you might have, especially if you're struggling. Uh, and then it turns out, you know, that there are things like chickpeas, um, which are high in tryptophan. And uh, where tryptophan can help uh, help people sleep. So, so there are little tips like that, that we try to provide people. And then at the end, we provide, um, you know, we provide ideas for how to incorporate those into food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The recipes are delicious. I love those. <laughs> looking at the scallops thinking well, that's what I'm having next. The scallop <laughs> recipe. I haven't had those in a while, but um, for example, melatonin, um, that was actually one of the things I was wondering as I was reading the book. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, people think of eggs as maybe a breakfast food or maybe right. brunch, you know, later in the morning for lunch. But why not have them for dinner? And, <laughs> and then two other foods you mentioned, well, you could have a salad with uh, cucumbers in them. Those you mentioned were uh, good for melatonin and exactly. have a vegetable like broccoli or asparagus. And that exactly. meal, without realizing it, is a really you know, a meal that's quite rich in melatonin. So it's a perfect example of food. Although you do, you know, recommend supplements, your Thai B vitamins and uh, minerals and things. There's perfect recommendations in there for that too. Um, One of the things that I was surprised about, and this is something I've struggled with, um, I appreciate it to get your opinion on it, but I I wondered myself, you know, uh, I personally feel if I eat a lot of protein at night, let's say I go out mm-hmm. to dinner and there's nothing on the menu except protein, mm-hmm. um, then I, I have trouble falling asleep because I have a ton, it gives me a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Where uh, if I have a carb meal, mm-hmm. let's say I had a, a risotto, let's say, that, that's gonna, I'm going to sleep better with a carb. But you're saying in the book that a moderate amount of protein is what a lot, some of the research has shown probably people have to experiment, wouldn't you say? But Oh, exactly. And, and that's, that's where, you know, and I'm glad you raised that point because, you know, over time we've come to understand, um, again, uh, as, as I think you have studied and talked about for many years, Donna, that the microbiome is so highly unique for, for the most part. There's some overlap uh, in what we each have, but this, it tends to be unique. And for that reason, you know, what, 
what one person may experience with a food may be different. So I agree. And, and part of the spirit with which you wrote this book is these are some guidelines. You, you may not experience all of these um, and you may in fact have a different effect in this food in, in which case we need to explore more and help you figure out what that might be. Um, you know, as you described, it might be that having carbohydrates at night may help you sleep, but it may need to be tweaked a little bit if, if um, you know, if that if that's not the case, if you're, if you're struggling to sleep, if you're having insomnia. So I absolutely agree. I think it does vary for different people, but what we provided is some general guidelines of what the research shows. You got me thinking though, because I was thinking, well, you know, protein and carbs, how can you, how can I do that myself? Right. And we, we do have a um, probiotic protein shake. That's actually, mm. it's, um, pea protein and rice so it's mm. protein but it's also like a carb too and mm. so I, I it just reminded me that sometimes I'll have that for my very last meal of the day and I definitely sleep better definitely right. you know yeah. and moderation uh, is a big point that you make early on that it's really about you certainly don't want to go to bed with a lot of food in your stomach and um not overeating ever. And so I, I right. liked it that you pointed that out, moderation. Right. I, I think that that happens with everything. You know, we, we talk about alcohol in the book because, again, um, more, you know, more people drink alcohol than do not. So I felt a certain responsibility about providing some guidelines around that, um, as well as other things, you know, that, that some well, people may or may not eat. Well, can, yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what does alcohol do when you first drink it and then later on at night when you're trying to sleep through the night? Exactly. So, you know, the, there's good data that the resveratrol from red wine is helpful for our brain uh, and does help us. And we touch on that in a few different parts of the book. But in general, I, I try to offer guidelines of, you know, have have your alcohol with your meal earlier in the evening. Um, and if you're noticing that you that you're struggling to sleep and you're noticing that pattern, then either cut that out and maybe have it at your weekend brunch or your weekend lunch rather than in the evening if it's disrupting your sleep. But the second thing that alcohol also does, um, in addition to potentially disrupting your sleep, is that it is a depressant. So people who are having more alcohol than maybe they, they, they know that they may be having more alcohol. For example, early in COVID, in, in March, in fact, the American Psychiatric Association did a survey. And already at that point, they noticed certain things. And one of them was that alcohol and, and drug, use across, drug use across the board was increased. And that was in March. I can, I can only assume that with confinement and the stress that people are experiencing and job loss and, and difficulty, that that could have worsened. So, you know, the problem and concern I have is that alcohol is a depressant and, and, the, and in, in the short term, maybe, you know, the, and I'm talking more people having difficulty with alcohol. I'm not talking a person has with dinner, but when they're consistently having higher and higher amounts of it, um, you know, it will drive depression and worsen anxiety. So those are some, in addition to that separate to all the medical effects it's going to have on your body. So, you know, we offer some guidelines around moderation, having it earlier in the day, noticing a pattern, if so, switching to when you have it. And, um, you know, uh, I think that with those guidelines, people will hopefully understand where, where it can fit into in their life. 
What about coffee? Probably the most popular drink in the entire world. Right. So, so the interesting thing is we, we offer some, and if not, not dosing, but we offer the number of milligrams and certain sizes of coffee. And the fact that there's still caffeine in decaf coffee, which many people don't realize. So with, with you know, for example, when I have conversations with people around sleep hygiene, I will say to them, have make sure that if you are drinking coffee, you're drinking it before 2 p.m. in the day. Um, you know, I wouldn't follow that up with decaf because you are in some small way adding, you, you can have decaf depending on how much of coffee you had in the morning, but you are also consuming a little bit of caffeine with that. So rather switch to something like chamomile tea after that point, because that also is not only calming and soothing, it also helps sleep, for example. Um, so, ca- you know, caffeine has, is something that Certain people have um, have a high tolerance, but others, you know, really struggle with ing- worsening anxiety and and uh, that type of thing when they have coffee, uh, caffeine. So, so really, and then there are also the caffeinated drinks that are out there. So one has to be quite careful because those also can have a ton of added sugar. I think the reason people drink caffeine, especially in the morning, is for energy. Yes, mm-hmm. I have the Absolutely. gene. I have a gene called CYP1A2, which is very common. So many people have this gene, and, and, and a variant in the gene. And so I don't clear coffee. Um, it, even if I drink, like, it's interesting that you said even decaffeinated coffee has some caffeine. I really actually didn't know that. I just trusted that it was really decaffeinated. But I notice if I drink it in the morning, it does give me a lot of energy. But, you know, with with this gene, you don't clear the caffeine. And so hours later, it's still running around wildly in your body, stimulating things. Mm. And if if you have it, then uh, let's say you go out to dinner and you have this lovely little piece of chocolate mousse or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are the people that are still up you know, ready to clean their entire house at three o'clock in the morning because they have mm-hmm. so much energy. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned the diet drinks because they're so prevalent. And even in the health food store, you'll see a bunch of them mm-hmm. and yeah. they're supposedly healthy, you know, that's, since they're well, in a health food right. store, but they, they, you have to look at the ingredients, right? That's the, that's the whole thing. And, and so I'm thrilled, of course, that, and you know, this, you know, we've known each other for a long time, but yeah. that I'm a big proponent of fermented foods. And yeah. I was really, I would love for you to speak about fermented foods and Absolutely. their connection with mental health. Absolutely. And I, I remember that from, you know, the, the, the products and, and your books and all of that. I just, such impressive knowledge that you've always brought to the table around those, those foods. Um, mm, thank in, you. In, ter- in, in terms of mental health, you know, what we've found is that by looking at the studies that basically fermented foods um, were very helpful to the gut bacteria. And, you know, some of those simple rules around including prebiotics, probiotics, and fermented foods were helpful to almost um, resetting a person's gut. So say they were having inflammation or struggling with a leaky gut or having other symptoms or other pain and discomfort. It was one way to start reworking that. And, you know, I um, start off because I'm offering people food solutions and um, I usually we might talk about things like miso and kimchi and kombucha and that type of stuff but I, and and kefir but basically because we are providing food sources and examples I would love you know to have um, be I would love in the future to be able to offer them some understandings of 
how they can ferment foods and, you know, some of the work that you've done and that type of thing so that they can almost do it on their own too. It really is a lot of research on um, fermented foods and, and uh, well, for example, depression and anxiety are the two. Um, fermented foods are considered to be anxiolytic, meaning uh, they keep you from being depressed. And, and I know the word kefir in Turkish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkey, uh, this is where kefir came from, the milk kefir. It came from Turkey long, thousands mm-hmm. of years ago. And it means in Turkish, feel good. I know also with our children that um, when their parents start them off early in life, eating the fermented foods and the vegetables, which not all fermented foods are the same. So I'm t- mostly I'm talking about um, yogurt and kefir. If people can do dairy, fermented milk, and of course, definitely fermented vegetables. But we have parents to start their children off early in life. And uh, one of the things that you can consistently count on with those kids is every one of them, they're so happy. They're easy to raise because they're just positive little beings. Uh, mm-hmm. So their parents have a lot of joy out of that. So I definitely think fermented foods or fermented vegetables in particular, seriously not given the credit that they deserve as far as raising healthy, strong, resilient people. Is nutrition alone then? Are you? I, I don't think you're probably saying that if people have schizophrenia, if they have bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, you're, would they just be able to, you know, change their diet and everything will clear up and they'll be fine? Or? No, no, but, you know, no, definitely not saying that. You know, I'm, I still prescribe medications and I feel that medications still at this point have a significant importance in severe mental illness. So someone is suicidal or manic or psychotic, um, you know, they need medications possibly just to start stabilizing them. They might need to be hospitalized, but food does not need to be excluded from that equation um, is, is my perspective. And that once they're stabilized and, and starting to feel um, somewhat better, food can continue to be a part of that treatment plan. Um, I, I think it would be uh, irresponsible for me to say that, you know, eat, eat blueberries and your PTSD would go away. That simply is not true. And we don't have the evidence behind that. But what we are saying is that if you embrace these foods as part of your diet and you are struggling with certain mental health symptoms, you may or may not be on a medication, but you can use these nutritional strategies to augment how you are feeling. And if you're on a medication, you definitely want to discuss that with your doctor, not, not the food strategy. I mean, you can mention the food strategy to your doctor, but you know, you don't want to suddenly say, well, I'm going to eat this food and I'm going to stop my Prozac. That's definitely not what we're trying to say. So it really is um, putting it all together in a good solid treatment plan. Um, if you're seeing a psychiatrist, making sure they know if you're seeing a primary care as well, which I hope you are, you know, having them know what your plan is as well. Um, so it's really about moderation guidance, um, incorporating these, uh, these, these nutritional strategies and whatever you are doing. So when people are reading the book, they're really getting a, a great understanding and lots of examples of nutritional psychiatry, but you also bring up a term in the book, chrononutrition, which is how your, our body's um, internal clock affects digestion and metabolism. I thought that was really great that you brought that up. And the good bacteria, how they have their own circadian rhythm. And when we <laughs> screw them, we screw up our, our own rhythm, we're affecting their rhythm. There's yes. great information. People are going to love the book. And I hope that 
people run out and buy it. It's very easy to read too. I mean, I read it quickly. Um, oh, and just constantly picked up more and more. I'm not a speed reader either, but I just easily found myself moving from chapter to chapter. Then I go back and reread certain sections that I'd want to know about sleep. For example, that's something I'm always working right. on for myself. Oh, exactly. Um, but you, just to kind of wrap up, there was one big question that followed me all the way through the book. And that was at the very beginning in your dedication, you said your mother gave you the most important advice in your life. And I kept thinking, what is it? <laughs> Would you share that with us? What this of course, I'd be happy to. It's going to be, it's not going to be related to food, although it's not going to be related okay. to food, not, not directly. So um, interestingly, my, my mom is a double bordered physician and, um, she met my husband before uh, I did. And uh, she, one of the things that I, I guess I was much younger and, you know, dating and doing, doing whatever young women do. And um, she, you know, when I did meet my husband, she was just very clear about, she, I guess she understood something about me since my childhood and who I was. And she said, you know, I think that that's going to be the young man that you marry. And I, 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 if you are, you know, interested in dating him or you have started dating him, then that would be, a good, you know, she sort of guided me in that way. Um, and I, I think it was one of the best pieces of advice. I really do. So uh, in addition to the fact that, that, you know, she taught me so much uh, and I'm very, very close to her, I always honor that, you know, she uh, had that kind of maternal instinct to say, you know, I think that person is going to be good for you. And I've never forgotten mm. that. Well, well, over these years, since we have met, you just, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to write this book and that you've, you're in this field of nutritional psychology, psychiatry, actually, it's just, I guess it's similar, but um, there's just not enough of this. And I think what's always necessary is bringing the information out into the public so people can use it and benefit from it. And you've done that. So thank you very much for the book. And um, thank you for um, this podcast for taking oh. your time. I know you're really busy right now and you've got this book, you're launching the book and you've got lots of interviews. So I feel real lucky that you took the time to be with us. That is always such a pleasure. And I thank you for finding the time as well to host me and to, you know, to, to read the book and to share it because it's the most important thing is your feedback is so important to me because I want people to be able to read it and say, you know, I can get some take home points from here. It's, it's not a, not a, not a geeky book that's filled with words I don't understand, but something I can actually take some value from. So thank you for saying that, that, that means a lot. Uh, well, here's my main feedback for everybody else that's listening. I think you should buy the book after you finish reading the book and made lots of important notes for yourself and made changes to your diet. Pass it on to other people because this is definitely a book that should be out in the world. And is it available on Amazon? It is. It is available at all major online retailers and they can also go to my, my book site and, and the links are all there. Thank you very much for writing it. Thank you. Thank you so much.